Hi everyone and welcome to The Constant Cheerleader, the podcast that champions the people who go above and beyond to make a difference in the world and their communities over a cuppa. My name is Gemma Stevenson and joining me today is a writer, blogger and self-confessed sparkly little optimist. Her words, not mine. She is one of those authors who, as a reader, you can trust so much to produce the goods every time that if she released her weekly shopping list in novel form tomorrow, you'd buy it. And it would probably become a Sunday Times bestseller, just like six of her other books. Here to give us 30 minutes of her best map talk this week is Miranda Dickinson. Hello, Miranda. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Um, first things first, down to the important business. We do chat over a cuppa. Mm-hmm. What cuppa have you bought with you today? Uh, I have. I have a cup of um, half-calf. Now, I have to do this because I drink so much coffee. Um, and particularly when I'm writing, if I'm sitting still for long periods of time, I can get a bit bonky with, <laughs> with too much caffeine. So I have a half-calf, uh, but it's a, it's a Viennese blend, which is very nice. Uh, and it's in my Cardiff mug. I have a Cardiff Starbucks mug. Um, and there's there's a story behind the mug. Would you like the story? Oh, I'd behind? love to hear the story behind the mug. Okay, so this this is my mug of rebellion, right? Because <laughs> I'm a member of the Romantic Novelist Association, who are the kind of the professional organisation for people who write books that have a romantic element in it. It's a very wide, broad church. And it has lots of things in, and they have a conference every year. And the first year I went, I was so nervous and didn't know anybody. But one of my friends was coming, um, and so I met up with my friend. And it was near Cardiff. It was being held near Cardiff, and we looked at all the seminars, and they looked quite scary. So we bunked off and did some, did some shopping in Cardiff. During which time, I bought my mug from the Starbucks in Cardiff, and had a lovely time. And then came back at, at dinner time, and you sort of sit with everybody, and everybody was talking about their day and what they'd learned and everyone was going so, so what which seminars did you go to my friend looked at me like we're going to totally get told off now because we we, we didn't stay for <laughs> and so I said oh we went to a session on um, the importance of retail therapy retail therapy and women's commercial fiction and these people go oh that's brilliant what did you learn and then I had to kind of wing it for the next five minutes not looking at my friend who was cracking up because it is that thing of like you know I just but I felt kind of quietly rebellious so it makes me smile every time I use it because it reminds me that I can be rebellious <laughs> took a long time to get to the stage where I could but yes yeah, so that's the story behind the mug and this story now Miranda her, if we've got any kids or teenagers watching have now <laughs> given them carte blanche to bunk off school and make up some very literary excuse yeah, as long as as long as you got as long as you get a mug out of it, and uh, <laughs> as long as you know you can keep people happy when you tell them the story, then I think that's fine. Please don't quote me and don't set your parents on me. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about making people happy. Your books do that a lot. They also make people cry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will say that I've read a number of your books now, and and I, I've probably been the most emotional I've ever been over paper. That's a lovely thing, but uh, like kind of apologies. Uh, yeah, I get I get uh, people tweeting me saying you made me cry on the bus. Everyone looked at me like I was crazy, and it was your fault. And it's just, yeah, I want when people read my books, I want them the overall feeling. I want you to feel at the end of the book is that you've had a really good journey, you've had a great story. Um, you do run the the gamut of emotions because life isn't up and jolly all the time so I want to reflect that but then I also want to leave you feeling hopeful at the end so that's kind of I don't like the word brand but if you want my brand of stuff it would it would be that there's always kind of an uplift at the end it will always make you think that actually possibilities out there and that think good things can still happen 
And I think that's why we've chosen, because we've chosen your book as our first kind of book club book to read, uh, The Day We Meet Again. Uh, I'm not going to name drop, but um, this was the first book I was introduced to of yours by an athlete <laughs> I was interviewing who is also a major fan of yours. And um, she told me to read it. And I tell you what, when I got it, I couldn't put it down. Um, oh, thank you. And, and that's why we've suggested it uh, as the first book to read kind of in self-isolation. I love the two lead characters. The fact that Phoebe is such an overthinker is yeah. is probably real life for a lot of people right now. Um, and um, am I right in thinking you based Sam on a musician character you'd met in a folk festival and you've now watched him virtually as well? Um, yeah, yeah um, Sam, um, there was a, there's a, a, a violinist or violin playing folk musician. They call them fiddlers, but you're really careful writing fiddler in a book because it, it has connotations beyond. If you're not familiar with the, the music world, then people think you're writing a different book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's a fiddle playing musician called Seth Aikman. Um, and uh, I kind of based his the sort of his style on Sam. Sam sort of has his style. Um, and yeah, um, I listen to an awful lot of, I love listening to uh, Scottish and Irish uh, folk music, contemporary folk music, and there's a whole load of amazing artists that I've loved from afar for a really long time, and it was great because I got the chance to thank them in the sort of the acknowledgements of my book, um, just to say thank you because your music has been great. I play it while I'm writing, and uh, it really added colour to the to the um, experience. Uh, I haven't actually ever met Seth Lightman, but I have I, yeah virtually watched him at the moment because everybody's doing live things. Um, and he was on a, a there was a front room festival the other day that was a massive folk festival that should have been happening in real life but then ended up happening in everybody's front rooms and went over a weekend um so yeah yeah and it, it's funny where you get um inspiration from you draw it from everywhere really but it's kind of music is a massive inspiration to me because i'm a i'm a singer as well so it's kind of a natural marriage between that and writing and and so we, yeah, when I imagine Sam, that was that was that was where we got with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe an idea for that sequel I keep badgering you to write: social distancing Sam. Social distancing Sam. A lot of people have asked me if if we're all going to write books set in this time. Um, it's, there's been a lot of discussion amongst authors about whether you should reference it because it's such a major event. Um, my personal theory is I think people will have had enough of lockdown and coronavirus by the time my next book comes out. So I, I'm kind of going to stick care of it. But I think it has made me think a lot about isolation, about how you can be in the busiest place in the world and still be isolated and still feel like you don't have that connection with people. A lot of my books are about creating connection between communities and friends. And, and it's quite a strong theme through my books completely unintentionally actually it just sort of appears when I'm writing um so I think it's made me consider it but yeah I don't think you're going to see Sam in lockdown although let's face it if you're going to be locked down on the Isle of Mull it's quite a nice place to be locked down I think I don't think Phoebe minds you know I mean <laughs> there's plenty of walking space for one there's a lot of space yeah there's more sheep than people and uh yeah it's uh it's a gorgeous part of the world so yeah I, I, there's the thing with lockdown at the moment i'm thinking because i live in the west midlands which is famously landlocked and you can't count the canals it's not quite the same <laughs> uh, but i'm missing the sea so much and my friends who are who live by the sea around the country are kind of sustaining me by sending me photos and videos of, of you know their daily walk which is along a coastline mine isn't really like that mine's kind of 
walking through the middle of the black country is not quite the same um but yeah so i think it must be really lovely if, you, if you're going to be isolated anywhere to be isolated with a you know gorgeous view <laughs> i must admit i used to hate the fact i lived in a village in the middle of nowhere however during lockdown i'm now thankful for it i think that's really good. i'm very pleased that i don't live in the city um my heart goes out to people who are living in london and you know big cities around the uk just because i think we you don't have any space i mean i'm very fortunate i have a garden it's not the biggest garden in the world but the fact that i can go and sit out there is great um and i've not been leaving the house because i'm both me and my daughter are asthmatic so we've been staying in the house i've been out twice since the lockdown was happening my husband bob is going out and getting shopping um because he's still working but it's it's yeah it's a really strange time and i think that isolation is is a huge thing and i think it's something that people are going to want to address but maybe not in the sense of i remember when i was in the great <laughs> lockdown of 2020 it's like no one's we've lived through it we don't want to read it we don't we don't need to put that in <laughs> and talking about like how we deal with this time but also you are a writer you are used to working from home yeah. however during this time where everybody's enforced indoors like how do you get those creative juices flowing during lockdown basically are there challenges there it's been really funny the first week i couldn't write anything um just because it was there was so much the, the trouble with or the not the trouble one of the things about being a writer is you spend a lot of time in your own head so even if you're doing stuff you know taking the kids to school or do you know wash you know i was gonna say housework my, my husband hears that he'll laugh because i never do any housework when i'm writing anyway you've tidied and up your uh, work room i tidied up my office yes <laughs> it's only taken like 18 months or something to do now, i had a mad a mad hour on saturday where i decided that i had enough and i needed to tidy up um partly because i'm doing a lot of zooms and <laughs> facebook lives and everybody's going like i just had everything covered in throws because it was so good um no, but I mean, the, the main challenge really is that is that normally my daughter's at school during the week. So I've, I've got used to writing in the daytime. I never used to. Um, the first five books, when I was doing, writing the first five books, I had a day job. And so I'd come home and I'd write at night. Um, and when uh, Flo was little and she wasn't at school, she was at, at she was, even when she went to nursery, she was only there in the morning. So I had very short amounts of time when I could write during the day. So it was always when she went to bed. So I wouldn't start work until nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. But thankfully, my head works that way. I'm a night owl. I'm not a morning person. So I, I am in awe of my friends who are writers who can get up at five in the morning and do a thousand words before their family wake up. Because it's just not going to happen. If I got <laughs> up at five o'clock, my daughter would be like, mommy, you're away. Let's do things. Um, but I think I think the main thing is just been finding the headspace for it. That's been the big challenge. Um, I I started to realize since becoming a mom, um, I've started to realize the importance of thinking time, that it's all part of the process because you can beat yourself over the head if you haven't written every day. I'm not a proponent of having to write every day. I think it's good to work out a habit where you write regularly, but I think actually thinking about the story and packing your head with it is really important. And there's always a point with the story where I feel like I don't know it until I've, I've really thought it through. And so my place to think about it is, oddly enough, doing the washing up, so other people have, um, you know, people, my mum keeps saying to me, why don't you get a dishwasher? I'm like, I can't do a dishwasher because I get my ideas when I'm washing up. Um, and certainly the book that's going to be coming out in uh, in uh, 3rd of September, hopefully, looks like it's all going ahead. Um, all of the scenes or the vast majority of the scenes in that book came to me while I was doing the washing up and writing a different book, uh, as, as ideas do. Um, so it's more just the fact of kind of seeing all that time as being useful and thinking time and musing on stuff um and 
the idea for the book after this one because you have to you have to be kind of two books ahead all the time um actually came over a, a couple of weekends ago and that was just reading some stories on social media and something turned up and it was kind of a what if the what if that i needed to start the story um so yeah it's just it's weird because a writer's life is not it, and some people do normal office hours i don't it's very i don't have a typical writing day i will write when i can um, I have post-it notes everywhere and I will jot things down. I have notes on my phone. Uh, I'll save things. If I see something, I'll screenshot it and save it and go back later and most of the time forget where everything is and spend an hour <laughs> looking for it. But especially because spending so much time on social media right now because it's the way that we, we're all communicating. You can't remember which one you saw it on. You're just scrolling back trying to find it. Um, but yeah, I think the main thing is just being finding the headspace because it is so much to deal with. The moment you think, you can get so used to the routine of being at home and obviously I'm homeschooling now as well. And, uh, and I've, we've kind of fallen into that and it's all right. It's a bit falling with style. It's okay. Um, but it's more the fact that you just don't have, you've got to just give yourself time to work it out. And if you have a day when your brain isn't working, that's okay. So I have, you know, when, when Flo goes to bed, Bob goes to bed very early as well, my husband. So I will sit and watch stuff on Netflix and just kind of take it in and, and think about stuff and let my mind wonder and as, once I've got space for my mind to wonder then I'm okay because the ideas will come um but it is really just yeah trying to adjust to it I think the adjustment has been the big the biggest challenge and you talked about homeschooling there I mean your daughter probably has the most epic homeschool I mean you made donuts the other day I mean they might not have gone to plan by the way however they were, they were such a disaster they were <laughs> a disaster they, they didn't know whether they were like, cupcakes or muffins but then we just mixed some icing and they looked all right but you've <laughs> so, taught her creativity you know didn't come out as donuts but still something tasty yeah and I, and I think I think that's the thing I think you know I I think you could get so sucked in right now with people that have these insta-perfect lives and they show their kids sitting down to do three hours of homeschool it is not like that in our house it's Shall we do some writing for 10 minutes and then let's run around the garden being, you know, spaceships or Flo made her her doll's pram into a jetpack pram. <laughs> it's a galactic space pram yesterday, but it's just, it, we're not necessarily sticking to the schedule, but I think um, she's out of all of us. My daughter is the one that's the most adaptive because she just gets to stay at home and do cool stuff and it's fine. And um, she told me I'm not as good a teacher as her teacher, which oh, right. is fair <laughs> enough. I'm not, I'm not in a competition. I don't want to win that competition. I'm quite happy to not as good. Um, but yeah, I think we're just sort of muddling through it. And I think the first week I tried to do everything and I, and I worried about everything and I worried about her. And then I saw it I think on one of the, so again, on one of the social media, somebody said, we're all worried that our kids will remember this time as a time when they couldn't see their friends and they couldn't go out and they couldn't go to school. But actually our kids will remember the time they spent with you and the, the cool stuff they did and the, you know, they got to go out in the garden and they got to make cool things and they got to do pee with Joe Wicks on Monday. And <laughs> um, although Flo doesn't, Flo watches me and Bob doing it from a chair with a drink. Like she's like a proper coach. She's definitely going to be a coach. Yeah, she just comes from the armchair. She's got a drink and she's like, come on, daddy, put back into it. Like just... <laughs> Every cheer coach I've ever known. <laughs> yeah, I think she's she's definitely destined for some kind of managerial position. I don't think she's going to be. I think she's going to be a super cool athlete. I think it's, <laughs> she's always impressed by athletes, but then you get the feeling she'd quite like standing on the side in tracksuit. She'd be she'd be right with that. She'd be good at that. The next England manager, maybe. Hey, who knows? Who knows? She's either going to be that or on an Interpol's most wanted list. <laughs> <laughs> but, I do, but 
I love that. I love that about her. She's so adaptive. She's quite a creative little soul as well. And and so she's done cool stuff. Um, it's just not necessarily the stuff that the school sent us to do. <laughs> um, one thing you could get us started on is um, you do a, a big. Well, you're currently calling it your big night in chatty thing, but you don't have yeah. a name for it. Yeah, if anybody has any suggestions of what to call my big night in Facebook chatty thing, then then do. It started out, I did, I did it as a one-off because I wanted to do something and I was aware that people were really scared and it was an uncertain time and I thought, well, maybe if we just if we just do if I just do something on my Facebook author page and we just chat, we don't necessarily chat about my books, just chat about anything and just have that time. And so we did it kind of as a one-off and towards the end people, I was getting loads of comments from people saying, can we do this again? Can we do this again? And I said, well, should we do it next Wednesday? And that's fine. And then the following week people were like, can we do this every week? And I think it's, it's developed. We never, <laughs> it's totally like a serendipitous thing, but it's developed into something where it's kind of a safe space for people for, for an hour. And also that regularity, because I think we don't have the regularity of getting up and going to work. We don't have the regularity, regularity of the school run. My work, my work isn't regular anyway, but you know, you don't, we don't know what day it is, but what day I'm on. Um, but I think, I think it's having something like that to look forward to has been really good. I think actually authors have been pretty good at this. A lot of authors got on it quite a way, pretty, pretty quickly. I think because we're all so panicked about the fact that our work disappeared. Like every event that I had, has disappeared. Um, I have a reissue of my fifth novel that's come out today that was supposed to go in supermarkets. It's now just an ebook. That's just so the market for that disappeared. I'm not having a paperback for that for the time being. Um, so everything, everything went, and you suddenly go, I have no way of making money. But it's not about making money. It's I just don't have a career. What am I going to do? And it morphed very quickly from that to well, how do I? Other readers are going through that as well, and I really care about my, what my readers think. And um, so I'm just going to do something just to entertain people because I have nothing else to do. And a lot of musicians and stuff do this as well. Um, so it came out of a, 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 just a, a need to kind of, you know, encourage people and, and, and show some solidarity, not to sell books. I, don't, I hardly ever talk about it. I'm not talking about my new book really at all. We just, we just talk about anything. So yesterday we were talking about uh, hula hoop challenges. One lady did 2,600 hula hoops. Whoa. I always just kind of, that's I can even do one. That's incredible. And they all tell me what they're drinking. And, you know, everybody has like, a cry. I'm there with my cup of coffee. And somebody yesterday had pink unicorn gin. I was like, no idea what that is. Apparently it tastes like uh, candy floss and bubblegum. Who knew? So, um, but it's really just that safe space. It's the, it's the fact of just saying, come on, like, we're all scared. There's all stuff that's going on. Let's just get together for an hour, talk about anything but... Um, and it's lovely how it's kind of developed into this regular thing. And that's nice for me too, because then I know every Wednesday at eight, that's what I'm going to be doing. And yeah, so I think the, the, the thing that I, I'm taking from this lockdown is that I think we're going to see great creativity. I think we're going to see really unusual things happening. I think from an author's point of view, I think you're going to see authors writing stuff that perhaps they've not been known for. I think you're going to get a lot of people writing stuff that they're really passionate about because it's hard to write anything that you're not passionate about right now. Um, and I think, you know, this this new way of kind of reaching out to people, I think I've seen more live music and more sort of theatre and arts and, and more of my favourite authors talking than I have done in the last five years because everybody's doing it online. Um, and so I'm actually quite proud of the book community from that point of view because I think we've, we've kind of risen to the challenge really quickly and 
and it's lovely to see the positive stuff that's coming out of it and I think that's you know it's a good thing to focus on positive right now and that's what I, I would probably agree with you on that I mean the writing community has come out there quite quickly I mean even this week you're involved in a socially distanced book festival um yes. which is you know something we wouldn't have even thought existed a month ago or could exist who knew who knew yeah and that's and it's transatlantic so i did a i did a transatlantic webinar yesterday that went out um it's just a lovely writer friend of mine from the states got in contact and said i think you'd like this would you be part of it I've never had the chance to do anything like that before. Uh, and then another friend said, are we doing this socially distanced book, the social distancing book fest or social distance book fest? I might have got that wrong, in which case <laughs> I, I can't do my own PR and I should probably be sacked <laughs> on the spot. Um, and again, it was just a friend saying, would you be part of it? And I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to be speaking on and I'm speaking with some amazing authors. So I'm basically going to be fangirling over them for an hour, I think. Um, so yeah, it's just things that have come out of it have been wonderful and I think you know that that was started by um some book bloggers who wanted to do something and wanted to kind of do something for a lot of authors who have books that are coming out that haven't been able to do launch parties and book tours and you know all the usual gubbins that comes with a book coming out um and it's so yeah I think the, the goodwill side of it is is being really lovely and the opportunity I mean the opportunities to grow I'm sort of saying yes to lots of things right now and I'm loving the opportunities that are coming up and I think that's probably the best way of, of doing of going for it, you know, with sort of being involved in stuff and trying to give back as much as possible. And that's the thing, you've just said you're going transatlantic. There could be a Hollywood producer watching. Uh, <laughs> we could have a movie of one of your novels very soon. Well, the day we meet again is actually coming out on July the nineteenth or the ninth. Ninth, I think. It could be the nineteenth. One of the two. Uh, <laughs> I have. I actually have a US edition that's coming out. It's the first time that I've had a US edition of my book, and it's a different cover completely. Um, it's coming out in Canada, but then it's also been taken by America as well. But it's half a three sixteen in America, so it's kind of the the American arm of my current publisher. Um, but I'm really excited about that as well because I've never had the chance to do that. And my books have always been available with things like you know, there's there's places like Book Depository that that ship worldwide, and so people I I know I've got readers all over the world, which is amazing. Um, but to actually have a book come out in America is very special, and that's on the bucket list. So I'm thinking, yeah, we get one closer to a Hollywood producer reading it I did have that happen with my first book actually um that Hollywood producer was over at filming at Pinewood Studios in England and brought his wife who was bored out of her mind <laughs> uh, and he ended up just buying her a whole load of books and fairy tale was one of the books uh, which is my first novel and he got in contact but he got in contact just before Christmas which is when everyone in publishing traditionally just goes they just disappear <laughs> about three weeks before Christmas everybody goes on eating the turkey don't bother me yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it in January. And by the time January came around, he'd found, you know, three of the projects that he was interested in. But I, So that's the closest I got. But I live in hope, you know, I think one day it so, could be good if we get, they're all very, they're all very, you know, film worthy and the rights are still available for everything. So, if any, you know, the chances are there. I have to believe in possibility. All my books are full of possibility. So I've got to believe that it's got to be a possibility one day. So go on then, dream casting for the day we meet again movie. Go on. Oh, I see. Now, this is a big question because I... Now, well, I did... A lot of people... I've asked this question, Marie, I'm going to sidestep this side because... because I don't <laughs> you really can't sidestep it. <laughs> we want to know. I shouldn't have said that's what I was doing. <laughs> oh, next time. Um, yeah, I, I asked my readers who they would cast 
and a lot of people have said Sam Hewen from Outlander. Mm, yeah. Damien Outlander. He'd have to dye his hair because Sam has dark hair. And so I'd be quite, cause assuming that I have any kind of creative control over <laughs> any adaptation. <laughs> like, they, you know, they'd be, I'd be lucky to put an name on. Um, but yeah, I think he could be good. I do think he could be good. Obviously, I have a bit of a David Tennant thing. Anyone who follows me on Twitter will know. I have a bit of a thing for David Tennant, namely David Tennant gifts, of which there are many for every occasion, and they amuse me. So I do a David Tennant gift of the day and get Twitter tumbleweed every time I do it, but it <laughs> amuses me, so I just do that. And um, so I listen to his voice a lot, purely, you know, obviously for research, it was such a hard thing to do to listen to lots <laughs> of different voices. Um, but yeah, I listened to his voice a lot for the rhythm. I wanted to get the rhythm of Sam and and his friends, um, his Scottish friends. I wanted to get the rhythm of their their words right. So they're not all like either new. Yeah. But there was a particular way that the, that Scottish people put a sentence together, and there's a particular rhythm. So I wanted to get that right. So I did. I listened to a lot of kind of podcasts. He does a podcast called David Tennant does a podcast with and I listened to a lot of those um and then once actually once the book was going through edits there was a an advert that came out for uh, I think Visit Scotland did it Scottish government did it and it was the idea of Scotland is open and it was when Brexit was going on and Scotland was basically going we're okay still come here (laughs) and um and the guy they got to do it is an actor called Thorin Ferguson uh, who is and when I, I saw this this thing and I was like he's Sam he could be Sam because he has dark hair and like piercing blue eyes and he's he's gorgeous and it I, I sort of did a thing on Twitter saying does anyone know who this actor is because he would be perfect like if we if we're going to do a Dreamcast he would be absolutely perfect the, the the lightness of his voice and the rhythm of his speech and everything worked and he was very good looking um and so uh, my brilliant detectives on twitter went went to work and within five minutes i had his name and then it turns out that he's actually a violinist like sam is so uh, ultra perfect casting so i mean no real deal this has to happen now this because really does I, and because he because i went oh everybody we found him his name's thorin ferguson and he replied and said, is there, is there a film deal? I said, there's not a film deal yet, but if there was, would you play him? And he said, yeah. So, See, you've got your lead, leading man in place already. Now, in terms of leading lady, um, I'm very fortunate that I kind of, I've, I've got to read all of Carrie Hope Fletcher's books yes. before they come out. And, you know, she's obviously an incredible writer, incredible actress too, and just all round famous, lovely person. Um, I think she would be brilliant as Phoebe. I would love to see her in a screen version of Phoebe, so I think she'd work. You, do you know what? If she played the lead in the movie, it could. you know what always happens with movies? The Day We Meet Again, the musical. It, uh, yes! Which, <laughs> let's face it, it lends itself. It so does. <laughs> She's already been in Heathers, right? So that works. I just, yeah. And The Adams Family, she, she, yes. she was in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, oh, well, obviously... Obviously, quite happy to write some music for that. That would be good. <laughs> the um, next yeah. West End hit. Yeah, I would look. I would love. I. I just. There's some. Some authors struggle with adaptations of their stories because it's somebody else's vision of it. And as soon as you see something either on stage or on screen, or even to a certain extent in audio, so when you hear an audiobook version, it's somebody else's interpretation of your stuff. And now I am fascinated to see what actors would do with what I do. Um, so I've loved the audio versions because they've always been very different from the way that I've imagined them, but I don't see that as a challenge to it. 
Um, and I did drama at university. I was going to be an actress and it all failed. I had two really bad auditions. I won't tell you about them. They were horrific. Um, oh, no, you have yeah. to tell us now. Come on. Horrific audition. <laughs> I'm an ex-actress. We've all been oh, through it. Come on. I went for an audition with a theatre company. And I was the only person who went for the audition and I still didn't get the job. And the guy who interviewed me was massively hungover. <laughs> and he had a pile of papers in front of him. And he kept consulting the papers. And it, very quickly, I realised there was nothing written on the paper. So <laughs> I didn't know if this was kind of some elaborate improvisation challenge. So then I started kind of playing along. So as he was asking the question and pointing to this blank piece of paper, I was kind of peering across the desk. I go, oh, yeah. So he'd say, so, uh, you know, who would you say your influences? So I'd look at where his finger was and go, mm, yeah. Well, actually, it's like this. So there could be a way of it. Uh, and then I had another another audition where I prepared all my stuff and it was all going to be great. And I walked into the audition room and they just went, nope. <laughs> no, no, not going to play today. Uh, prepared my Ibsen. And they were like, nope, nope. So that was it. That was put paid to that. But I've always loved theatre and I've always loved that magic between words on a page and then them suddenly becoming something that you watch and that you take in. And so, yeah, I, I would love it. I would love it. That's definitely... It's definitely the big ambition that's yet to be realised is that somebody to, you know, have a go. And I'd love to do, like, Stephen King does this thing where anybody can do, anyone can make a, a version of one of his books for a dollar and the dollar goes to his foundation. And I'd love to get to the stage where I could just do that and say to, like, film students, we'll have a go and do something because I'd love to see somebody else's adaptation of it. I think that'd be wonderful. So, oh. But obviously, if a Hollywood producer wants to pay me, you know, mega books that's okay too that would be great. <laughs> of course there you go you've put out your appeal right there now um, yeah, there you go anyone that's listening because of course they all listen so you know you know they're all listening to this podcast right now um <laughs> we've now reached the point miranda you've given us so much already um but we're gonna ask you to give us one more well a couple of more things and um, we've okay. reached the point in our podcast now where we talk about cultural exchanges now in cheerleading when we go off to comps uh, we have something called a cultural exchange where we give people from other countries um, a little gift um, from our country. I will admit, I tend to take England football memorabilia, uh, but this is your chance to give our listeners and the wider world um, a bit of a cultural exchange and a bit of suggestion to keep them going for this next week in isolation. I would say uh, look for the small things that make you happy. And that's because... You learn very quickly when you're writing books that the big, huge, amazing things in life don't work so well on the page. And actually the things that your characters react to that seem like the most earth-shaking, amazing things are very often the smallest gesture, misreading some what somebody else is saying. You know, if somebody's, in, in the case of a lot of my characters, if someone's falling in love, they will notice something about someone that seems to be earth-shattering and it's just the way that they smile. Um, so I would say right now, looking at the big picture is scary. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, you know where we're going to be. It changes daily. But I think if you look for those tiny moments where you just go, I like that, that was, that was good. That bit was good. This bit was good. And make those the big things, uh, make that your focus. Then I think it helps you to get through the day. And then you feel, you end the day feeling like something is, you've achieved something. Um, so I think that's the thing. I think I think yeah, make the it was I think it was one of the the person because 
the people that wrote Friends, it was a writer's room that, that did it. And my next book is about a writer's room. So I've been reading a lot of stuff about people who've written in writer's room. And the guy who was in charge of the writer's room for Friends said that, make the big stuff tiny and the tiny stuff big. And I think right now, from a, from a, a mental health perspective, from a positivity perspective, I think focusing on those tiny, tiny details and making them the main event of your day just helps you to get through it. And it helps you to go to bed not feeling despair at what you're going to find when you wake up in the morning. Um, I think you need to find it where you can. And even if it's something really tiny, like, you know, you found a you found a podcast to listen to that was amazing, uh, or you had a really good conversation with somebody on Twitter, or, you know, when me uploaded some um, uh, potato painting yesterday, and it was 10 minutes of just pure unbridled mess and joy. Um, and that sustained me through the day. And I think, so I think that would be my, that's my cultural exchange. That's what I bring from my world to your world is, yeah, make the tiny things the main event. And uh, one final thing. Now, at the risk, I hope after you've done this next bit, you are not going to get some Twitter reviews saying you're, uh, what was it, insufferably optimistic? Insufferably optimistic, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it must be all that caffeine you're having. <laughs> I think it is, although the weird thing is that when I've had times when I've, I have times when I don't have any caffeine at all and I, everything is decaf and I'm worse. <laughs> I mean, is there ever, t- ever time when it, it's it's bad to be insufferably optimistic anyway? You know, let's be the glass half full people of the world. Um, so at a risk, I hope you don't get Twitter abuse again <laughs> after giving this next line. Um, we need some Matt talk. What is your Matt talk, Miranda? My Matt talk is life is incredible. What we're going through now is scary and it's unlike anything we've come across before, but life is incredible. You know, a a 99-year-old man has raised how much? Is it 12 million pounds the last time I heard for walking 100 laps of his garden because people saw what he was doing and there was just that thing that ignited in people. And I believe that that humanity as as a whole fundamentally good and that there are possibilities there's still possibilities even on the darkest nights stand aside jerry harris <laughs> you have just upped the mat talk level we need to get you on cheer now in navarro cheer and and properly giving that mat talk to the stunt groups i just think it would be it would be good i did have a time in a major retro when i was 12 uh we weren't we weren't baton twirlers because we weren't good enough so they decided <laughs> Um, we did the pom-poms and then we went to one national competition and then there were the thigh slappers have you seen them uh, yeah we were the pom-poms pom-pom people and uh yeah we did i did it for a summer and it was so much fun from a, from a youth club so but with this kind of woo woo so I think, yeah like, <laughs> i think even for me that's kind of next level of pollyanna type optimism and i think I, people would actually just you know, shut me in a room and lock the door. <laughs> I feel like what we need to get you to ask you to do now is we do have one of my Team England teammates has actually done a POM routine on our website. We need to get you to learn that POM routine and then video oh, it. Yeah, I'd have to make some pom-poms because obviously my, my pom-pom days are long, 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 long <laughs> far behind me. But uh, yeah, yeah, we used to do it to Joy Bunny, so that shows you how old I am. Well, to Bunny. she hasn't <laughs> chosen... Uh, any music to go with her POM routine, I am now expecting you to uh, email me uh, our <laughs> POM routine to Jive Bunny with homemade pom-poms. 
right okay that's the challenge it's like, <laughs> the yeah, challenge been laid. <laughs> <laughs> um and so um all is left for me to say miranda before we we have you doing any other daring deeds in lockdown that might may or may not end in injury <laughs> um is thank you so much for joining me today and also thank you to everyone for listening i'll leave you all with one final thought and that is to stay safe stay home and stay well and we will meet again at the same time next week to champion another of life's cheerleaders thank you